Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Today is another episode of Always More Wednesday, and today we're going to be talking about the Mass a little bit more. Um, when Before I was Catholic, I would ask all my Catholic friends, what do you get out of Mass? Because it looks like just a bunch of crazy stuff to me, and it looks super boring. And most of them could not answer it. And then uh, the same question got asked to me um, when I was becoming Catholic. What do you get out of Mass? And I was like, I don't know. I just feel connected. And by the way, if uh, you haven't listened to the original series of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and the overview of the Mass, I highly recommend. They were a more recent uh, series, so go back and listen to those if you haven't heard it yet. And then also, uh, I got posed that question too when I went to a daily, I started going to daily Mass, and which is like a half hour, you know? And somebody's like, a half hour? What in the heck do you get out of that? Well, we're going to talk about all of those today. So at every single Mass, you hear the Word of God and you receive the Word of God, right? So you hear Scripture proclaimed and then you receive the Living Word, capital W, Word of God, Jesus Christ in the Eucharist at every single Mass. At every single Mass, we gather together as the body of Christ, which we are supposed to do according to St. Paul, to gather together. Do not avoid the assembly, just like it says in Hebrews 10.25. And so we gather together as the body of Christ, the church. We encounter Jesus Christ in the worship that he created. Our eyes are opened by Jesus in the Eucharist as our hearts are burning within us as he opens up the scriptures to us. It's exactly what happens uh, just like on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 where the unrecognized Jesus, right? So through his priest, that's so in persona Christi, he's not Jesus Christ, the high priest is working through his ministerial priesthood isn't recognized and he opens up the law and the prophets and he teaches about himself. And then the disciples, even though their hearts were burning within them as he opened up the scriptures to them, he did not recognize them until the breaking of the bread, until Jesus in the Eucharist. And so how do we encounter Jesus at Mass? There's four primary ways of how we have this encounter with Jesus. In the liturgy of the word, right? So hearing scriptures, hearing the scriptures proclaimed, the liturgy of the Eucharist, right? So we receive Jesus Christ himself. And then we uh, encounter him through each other as the body of Christ. And then we also um, encounter Jesus through the priest who is in persona Christi. And those are the four ways that we encounter Jesus. And every single Mass, it is the living sinner's prayer, right? So a lot of our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters believe that just to be saved, you need to say a certain prayer. And that prayer is usually set up and we confess and acknowledge our sins. We admit that only God can save us, that Jesus came and died for us, and then we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That is exactly what we do at every single Mass. It is the living sinner's prayer instituted by Jesus. And uh, so we come, we confess and acknowledge our sins at the beginning of Mass. We admit that only God can save us. And we believe that Jesus came and died for us to give us everlasting life. And then we receive Jesus himself, not only into our hearts as our Lord and Savior, but as our Lord and Savior to the point of we believe every single word that he says, including that we would eat his body and drink his blood. And we receive Jesus himself in the Eucharist. And so it's from our very love of him that's burning within our hearts that we now receive him at Mass in the Eucharist into our very bodies to have life himself dwelling within us, as he says in John 6. And so the Mass is broken up into 
a, a few parts, and we talked about them in the last series about the about the liturgy, the mass, and it's broken up primarily into two bigger parts. If you looked at it as the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist, but it's all from and consists of, and it's through the one capital W W Word of God, Jesus Christ, that instituted it. Right, so. It's all part of one word. So Jesus speaks to us in the liturgy of the word, which points us to the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so that liturgy of, of the word, we, we live out and we believe that Jesus Christ himself, that God himself is speaking to us through the readers to hear the, the love story that he has written in, in sacred scripture. And it all points to Jesus Christ himself, the true Lamb of God, the true bread of heaven that came to give us everlasting life and to redeem us and save us from our sins and to sanctify us. And so every single Mass, it is the marriage supper of the Lamb that we see in Revelation that God has always been trying trying to wed himself to his people from the very beginning of creation, that we would uh, be participating in that divine and heavenly eternal worship of heaven that we get to participate in that at every single mass with the mar- at the marriage supper of the lamb of god jesus christ right in the middle with all of his people we are the church married to the bridegroom and so when Cath- when people say are you a bible christian well catholics are the most <laughs> bible christians for a bunch of reasons but catholics are bible christians because we live in and through the Bible, through God's love story of salvation history for us at every single Mass. We can come to know the scriptures more intimately, to be sure. But if you go to Mass regularly, you know the Bible and you know salvation history, one, because it's being proclaimed to you every single day if you want, and it goes over a course of three years, you almost hear the entire Bible and you hear all of salvation history, that God's love story for us. And um, But also... It's because at every single Mass, you are living through salvation history, right? So just like God told the Israelites to have that perpetual institution of the Passover to participate in his exodus of the people of the Hebrew people that were enslaved in Egypt to lead them out. Same thing now is that every single time we go to Mass, we encounter that new exodus that Jesus instituted, and he is the one that takes away the, the sins of of the entire world and to redeem us from uh, sin and darkness and in slavery to that sin. And he leads us into that, into the promised land, right? So we encounter and we live out that love story. Venerable Fulton Sheen, I think blessed Fulton Sheen now, he said once, the greatest love story of all time is contained in a tiny white host is because every single time that we consume, we encounter the Eucharist, we go to mass and the liturgy, we live out salvation history and we get to encounter that sacrificial love, that living sacrifice of Jesus, that he um, would give himself completely for us, that he would be the lamb of God to give us newness of life. And so we can definitely know scripture and all of us should should be reading scripture so much more. And I actually love memorizing scripture. Like I, I really want to know chapter and verse uh, all the time. But even if you don't, that doesn't mean that you don't know scripture or salvation history. And if you do uh, have verses memorized, that also doesn't mean that you know scripture. That doesn't mean that you know scripture or salvation history. Um, the references of chapter and verse were not added to the Bible until the Catholic Church added it to the Bible in the 1400s, right? 
And so even uh, if we looked in scripture, like at, we look at Jesus when he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, when they talk about scripture, a lot of most of the time, I think almost every single time it says they would say, you, heard, you have heard it said in Isaiah, or they would reference something within the context of Isaiah or the Psalms. Well, those two books or two letters are huge, right? But they never said chapter and verses because it didn't exist. So we can do the same thing. It's like, I do that all the time. If I'm not entirely sure of the chapter and verse, I'll just say in Ephesians or St. Paul says, even in general, like sometimes I might, I might get the letters mixed up. I'll just say St. Paul says this, <laughs> you know? So we live out scripture. We live out salvation history every single time we go to Mass. And so why is Mass so short during the week? Well, first off, even though it's short, uh, shorter, you can still say everything that I just said. You encounter the living God through Scripture and through the Eucharist at every single Mass, regardless of the time. It's all still right there, right? So it's shorter because during the week, there's uh, usually no singing. There is no Gloria that you sing at the at the beginning of Mass, so it's one less song. There's one less reading, so it's usually uh, it's it's always uh, reading from the Old Testament or New Testament with a Psalm and then the Gospel. And on Sunday, it's a reading from the from a letter of the New Testament or Old Testament with a Psalm and then another reading and then the Gospel. So there's one less reading. The homily is usually shorter. It's probably like three to five minutes if the if the priest even gives a homily. And then the communion line is much shorter, right? So it just it, communion is a lot uh, quicker as well. So those are the reasons why mass is shorter during the week, but it's still uh, encountering the living God himself that instituted the mass. And so I was reading Hebrews uh, recently and I'm starting to see why uh, Martin Luther wanted to take out... <laughs> Hebrews because it is very, very Catholic. Um, if you just read through Hebrews, it starts talking about, um, I mean, throughout the entire letter, but if we just like flip through, starting with uh, chapter four, it's talking about Jesus as the high priest, um, the spiritual growth, and then, and then chapter six talks about the peril of falling away from Jesus. So people that are already Christians falling away, that can lo- lose like their salvation, you know? And then chapter seven, uh, Jesus being the in the the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, offering bread and wine. And then once you get to chapter eight, he starts talking about the Jesus Christ being the mediator of a new covenant. And then uh, in chapter nine, it starts talking about the earthly and heavenly sanctuary on how. Uh, and this continues actually all the way into chapter 10, where it talks about how everything in the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrifices, everything pointed to this new covenant. And in this new covenant, everything of the old covenant is fulfilled, right? So there is no more room for those old covenant sacrifices because they do not save you. And there's a new priesthood. There is a new law. There is a new sacrifice. And and there's a new covenant because of what Jesus did for us, right? And so in starting in chapter 10, it's talking about a new priesthood, a new covenant, a new law, a new sacrifice. And it says, don't go back to the old sacrifices that can't save you. And then in chapter 11, it goes on to all these uh, Old Testament heroes, right? So it talks about the example of faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Moses, and other his heroes of Israel's history. 
And then in the very next part of uh, at the beginning of Hebrews 12, it says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And what was that cloud of witnesses? That cloud is actually the Shekinah, the glory cloud of God's presence that led the Israelites in the wilderness and was present in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and temple. And so every single Hebrew Israelite of the Old Testament and covenants knew that this Shekinah, this glory cloud, was the pure presence of God that people could not enter. But what does it say? After it literally just listed off in chapter 11, all of these Old Testament um, heroes, it says that they're in this, they are the, the cloud of witnesses. So in God's glory, in his presence, because of what Jesus did in the new covenant that he mediated for us, these people, these great heroes and all these saints, these just men made perfect that says that says that in Hebrews 12 uh, verse 23. And so all of these people that have been saved by the grace of Christ and the glory of the cloud, the glory cloud of God's presence with God for all eternity, right? So and so it's the saints in heaven that we are never separated from because of the love of Christ, according to St. Paul, right? So nothing can separate us. So the body of Christ is always united to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Whether we're here on earth as the church militant or the church in purgatory, the church suffering, or the church in glory as the church triumphant, we are never separated, right? And we even see that in Revelation 5. But we'll have another discussion about that um, in another episode. But this is the part I wanted to get to. In Hebrews 12, starting in uh, verse uh, 21, It says this, So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are all enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. And so, we see right here that this new covenant is contrasted with the old covenant worship, right? So it's right at the beginning of the reading in verse 21, it was, it was talking about how Moses, what he saw on that mountain, he it was so intense what he saw that he was fearful of it, right? He thought he was going to die. And, um, but this was to give him the vision of the Old Testament uh, tabernacle and temple sacrifices and, and worship of God is because, and because it was for them to mimic what was going on in heaven. But now in the new covenant with Jesus as our mediator, we actually participate at every single mass, the worship of heaven in the heavenly Jerusalem according to that Hebrews 12, right? So not the earthly Jerusalem of the old covenant, sacred worship and sacrifice, but now in the heavenly Jerusalem and in heaven, we get to participate in that in that uh, heavenly worship with all the angels, like with the, fe- with the innumerable angels and feastal gathering in uh, verse 22, and uh, with all those spirits of the just men made perfect. So those are the saints, right? So they're men, but they don't have their bodies yet. They're, they're spirits, just men made perfect. And all of us participating in this heavenly worship, whether they're in heaven or whether we're here on earth, but participating in this 
heavenly Jerusalem worship, we are all centered on the Lamb of God of Jesus Christ in the center, right? So it's the it's Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and his sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. And then when uh, the author of Hebrews continues to go on to talk about this heavenly worship, if you go to Hebrews 13, verse 10, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And so right here it says that Christians have an altar. What happens on the altar? Sacrifice. Which, what are the only churches in the entire world of Christians that have an altar? Usually the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church where a sacrifice is there actually at the altar because it is the sacrifice of the living God. And so it says right here in Hebrews 13.10 that us Christians have an altar from which those who serve the tent, the tent meaning the Old Testament tabernacle where sacrifices were uh, offered, have no right to eat is because this new covenant, this new mediator, this new priesthood, this new law instituted by Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of God's plan for us to worship him. And at every single Mass, you can literally read that to yourselves. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We have an alt- we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And we approach Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are all enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than blood than the blood of Abel. And that is the description of the holy sacrifice of the Mass at every single Mass that we get to go to. That is exactly what we're participating in, that heavenly worship that Jesus Christ won for us and established for us here on earth to participate in the heavenly worship.